The year was 2081, and everybody was finally equal. They weren't only equal before God and the law. They were equal every which way. Nobody was smarter than anybody else. Nobody was better looking than anybody else. Nobody was stronger or quicker than anybody else. All this equality was due to the 211th, 212th, and 213th Amendments to the Constitution and to the unceasing vigilance of agents of the United States Handicapper General. Some things about living still weren't quite right, though. April, for instance, still drove people crazy by not being springtime. And it was in that clammy month that the HG men took George and Hazel Bergeron's 14-year-old son, Harrison, away. It was tragic, all right, but George and Hazel couldn't think about it very hard. Hazel had a perfectly average intelligence, which meant she couldn't think about anything except in short bursts. And George, while his intelligence was way above normal, had a little mental handicap radio in his ear. He was required by law to wear it at all times. It was tuned to a government transmitter. Every 20 seconds or so, the transmitter would send out some sharp noise to keep people like George from taking unfair advantage of their brains. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. Hey, everybody. It's Short Story Short Podcast. I'm Chris here with... Christy Baxter. Excellent. And today's recommendation came from dear friend of the show, Jay Craston. And what story is that today, Christy? That story is Harrison Bergeron by Kurt Vonnegut Jr. And Vonnegut is probably my favorite author and certainly my favorite uh, genre author. Yeah, same here. I have loved him since I discovered him in college and just almost everything I've read of his, it always hits me and, and changes my worldview in, in some way. Yeah, and this story is, it's intense in a number of different dimensions. What's impressive to me is how it manages to be so intense in such a short space. It's only like 2,100 words. And man, does it ever pack a punch in those, in that few, that just that little space. And what amazes me is the ability of Vonnegut to use the satirical form to make you question both the righteousness of what he's saying as well as the stupidity of what he's saying Uh, because you could interpret this either way you could interpret this as a severe strike against the idea of equality or the complete opposite way the absolute call for equality that is necessary and how poorly we're going about getting to it you know I didn't think of it that way, but you're absolutely right. I, mean, I kind of thought about it that way because I had this idea when rereading it that it, it is, they do go about it in the wrong way. They push people down in the story in order to equalize instead of raising them up. Um, so, but I didn't look at it as the two different angles that you can you know, view the story from like, like you just gave us. Yeah, I think Vonnegut's power is that he wants people to take the angles and it works really well in something like this uh and even better in things like uh that book with the guy who is so funny um oh yeah that one cat's cradle oh yes yes where it's uh basically how both science and uh basically the world and religion and sociology all collapse when they're actually put on the weight of seriousness Mm -hmm. 
But at the same time, he's saying, this is all really serious, but we can't take it seriously. I love that about him. Uh, I think that was that was really his his worldview his entire life. I mean, if you think about his life surviving Dresden, you know, and surviving the 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 bombing of Dresden and then coming out of that. And I think he really had this idea of exactly what you said. Yeah, everything is really serious, but if we take it really serious, we will drive ourselves mad. Exactly. And I think that's one of the things we see here. Um, Harrison Bergeron, of course, uh, in a world which has been basically leveled, everyone is held to the same level. And it seems like what it is, is everyone is brought to the lowest operating level. Uh, so if you're super smart, you have this buzz that goes off in your ear. If you are uh, super uh, physically able, you are uh, weighed down with chains. And we get this wonderful image of Harrison Bergeron, the most able. And honestly, a great reference, I think, to the sort of the, the powerful, capable, Heinleinian captain figure that was so popular in science fiction at this point. And he decides to break all the rules. Mm -hmm. And what, and how does he show it to the world? By dancing. That to me is so beautiful. He doesn't, he he does use a little bit of a show of force in his methods of actually getting into the the television studio where this happens, but that's not the point of it. That that's just force for the sake of getting in. It's not force for the sake of showing his power. And by ripping off all of the things that are, you know, the, the false impediments that are giving to him and then choosing to dance, I think is it's almost symbolic. He didn't choose to hurt anyone. Well, unless those musicians that he grabbed and used as batons were injured in the process. Musicians. He, cho- he chose to show the world true beauty that they hadn't been able to see in who knows how long because of this equalization of society. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful moment where you see him being taken down. And I say that's beautiful because of, not even because of the language, but because it is such a perfect encapsulation of the entire story uh, in that one little moment, you know, the uh, him, because of course, you can't let someone who is so far above everyone else live in a society in which you have so much equalization, I guess. But then the reaction to it is so muted. Yeah, yeah, it really is, even from his own parents, because they're so weighed down. Uh, Hazel, his mother, is is weighed down just by her you know, supposedly average intelligence. And George, his father, is weighed down by all these things, you know, the, the, the buzzing and noises in his ear. And so they're so weighed down that they can't even really truly absorb and notice that their own son has just made this amazing display to the world and then just at the absolute height of beauty been murdered. Yeah, and... I think this is one of those Vonnegut moments where he proves his Vonnegutness by Vonneguting all over us. Yes, uh, he does Vonnegut all over us. Yes. Uh, gee, I could tell you that one was a doozy, said Hazel. You can say that again, said George. Gee, said Hazel. I could tell that one was a doozy. How banal an exchange is that? It's banal, and yet it is so sincere of this world, you know? It, it's, it's banal, it's funny, and it's so representative of what this world is. 
and such a it's such a stupid exchange, but it also says so much. I think this is one of the moments in science fiction literature, particularly the short form, that really exceeds not only science fiction because there's there are of course science fictional elements, but nothing that's presented seems unrealistic. Yeah, and that's what's amazing is that you know. The impediments they're talking about aren't uh, aren't like magical force fields or anything. They're weights. Uh, the thing that's in his head is just a set of headphones, basically. That little bit that where he's taking definite science fiction ideas but playing with the known technology. Mm-hmm. Really, really smart play of science fiction for the 50s and 60s. And it, it definitely grounds the story in a more realistic way and helps it have longevity so that it still feels uh, like it would be possible today and not like it's ridiculous. The one thing that also gets me is the fact that this gives us a, a race condition. Now we have to pass almost 200 amendments in the next 61 years. And I don't know if we have that sort of stamina. Yeah, I really don't think we do. That's the one thing that it's uh, it's where the, the satirization, I think, whether intentional or not, becomes a little bit more towards parody. Um, because, I mean, obviously, that's, that's something that's more out of the realm of possibility. Probably. Probably. Mm-hmm. And he, though he was writing about 121 years ahead of when he was. So maybe he thought we were more industrious than we really are. Maybe, but I don't think that love love him so much, but I don't think that Kurt Vonnegut had either that much faith or maybe not faith in humanity, <laughs> like at least for the industriousness. <laughs> yeah, I, I really do believe that uh, reading this story, you can smell the cigarette smoke wafting off of it, even just off the screen. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this is one of those, again, another one of those powerful stories that forms a backbone of uh, science fiction going forward because this was hugely anthologized everywhere uh, and I think really you can see a lot of the impact on the authors particularly of the 70s and 80s uh, and how they sort of picked up on this concepts that he was presenting. Yeah it definitely it was it was foundational it, it was something that a lot of people I think used as as a model um, and so it definitely set the tone for uh, the entire genre in some ways. One thing I want to I want to get in here is that the the line that always gets me that I think ironically I forget about in between rereadings and then I come back and I I reread it again and that line hits me and the irony of that is the line is at the end when George says forget sad things mm-hmm. and it's ironic that I forget that because it's such a sad line it's just the irony is just wrapped up it's an onion of irony and that line especially it tells you so much of the effect that this society has had on people not only on their like mental and physical capabilities but emotionally you know like they just he says forget sad things and Hazel says I always do and they just they don't even have the capacity anymore to remember this hugely important and horrifying thing that just happened in their life. And that always really strikes me as possibly even a more detrimental effect than than all the, the aspects of the society that we see that has been completely equalized. Mm-hmm. And for me, the line that always grabs me is I am the emperor, cried Harrison. Do you hear? I am the emperor. Everybody must do what I say at once. And 
to me, that is referencing the the sort of the great man of genre fiction idea. And uh, usually the great man of science fiction always makes it to the end and is a success. But here he is torn down by the society that he is trying to rule over, which is, wow. It's a real big change from everything that was being done at that point. Yeah, it's a really great trope reversal because you don't see it coming. And you you always expect that that great man to triumph over all and he has one shining moment of of beauty and bliss and that's it then he's he's you know dead on the floor and you know what though it's amazing is that in this story that's more than anyone else gets that is that is so true i did not think of it that way but yes that is so much more everybody else has this humdrum forget sad things existence and he gets that one shining moment because the thing is, is that if you have a society where everyone is equal, no one can be great. If they're, if, if they're being equalized by pushing them down, no one can be great. And so he gets that one moment of greatness that no one else can or is willing to take the risk to attain. Yeah, I think we've, we've given this the once over. What's your thought on this story as a whole? Like, what does it make you sense? It's, it gives me a certain fear uh I, I will say that that's definitely a, an emotion that comes into it just because every everybody but but harrison is so dulled down and that it, it does bring me an immense sadness to think of that for these characters that they that even sadness and negative emotion you know if you can't have if you can't have sadness you can't have happiness so it's it's this you know it, you have to have the darkness in order to have the light kind of feeling and it feels like uh in this story aside from from harrison and his beautiful ballerina all the lights have been shut off yeah and for me the sense is if this ever happened in the real world i really want to be one of the handicapper generals guys i think <laughs> i think that really plays to my strengths i think you would make a wonderful handicapper general chris <laughs> gonna have that put on a business card all right well thank you christy as always and thank you jay and thank all of you for listening we don't have anything else to plug do we except for your other podcasts oh yeah sure yeah we can we can do that uh my other podcasts are old timey crimey a historical true crime podcast with my co-host scott and amber and my other podcast detectives by the decade which will be coming back from its season break pretty soon here which traces the history of forensic science from the beginning so yes that is my plug <laughs> excellent all right and so we're also going to tell you for the first time ever what our next story is going to be and Christy, that story is? The Handsomest Drowned Man in the World by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Woo! So stick around for next week. Anyhow, this has been Short Story. Short Podcast.